Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself, for Lucy had her work cut out for her. The doors would be taken off their hinges. Rumpelmeyer's men were coming. And then, thought Clarissa Dalloway, what a morning. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. This week, we're catching up on Alpost, so thank you to everyone who sent in your voicemails. We're excited to listen to some of them now. And later in the show, we'll have a conversation with Stephanie Purcell, one of our mentors and inspirations for this podcast. Our first voice memo is from Charlie Peterson. I'm a little behind, so I just finished the episode on promises, and I really connected to this idea of the promise of intimacy and belonging to a physical place. Uh, I grew up in the same house all through my childhood and adolescence, like age 1 to 18, and it's this 
big, weird ranch style house and old with all these quirks. Like one of the doors has two doorknobs and you have to turn them both to open the door. And there's a random step down into my parents' bedroom. And I've spent so much time exploring. I really feel like I know all the secrets and tricks, like it's mine. And I, my parents still live there. And to this day, I love going back there and spending time there because I feel, I feel so safe and it just feels like my home. But even through all that, I know that the physical structure is vulnerable, that, you know, someday we could sell it and someone might tear it down or there could be a, a fire or a tornado. Who knows? But someday I could drive down that road and look over and my home would be gone. And you just know that would never happen to Hogwarts. Like a natural disaster is not going to destroy it because it's magical and evil incarnate came to power and they still respected the physical infrastructure. They just (laughs) ran it differently. That, that building is going to be there forever. And the institution that it symbolizes will endure. So you don't just belong to a physical space. You get to belong to, to history and to the promise of the future. And I think both of these promises where you get to intimately identify with a space that feels like home and of belonging to something bigger than yourself are so powerful in your youth. And I, I don't know if you can develop those same promises with the space when you're older. I, I hope so, but I'm not very optimistic about it. And, and all of it kind of reminds me of the Harry Potter stories themselves and maybe any story that you truly love. Um, Casper said in the first episode that the Harry Potter books feel like they're his and the way even the Bible was never quite that intimate. And you know, that's so much like Hogwarts to, to Harry and all those kids. And even this exercise of treating them like a sacred text is kind of like learning all the hidden passageways of Hogwarts to, to learn your way around and make it your home. So I think most of us will probably never get to belong to a sacred space that we know will endure, but we do get to belong to a sacred text. So that's, that's kind of a form of magic. Uh, that's everything. Thank you, Charlie, for that beautiful voicemail. And I think what you're reminding me of is that there is something special about being young, being a child and engaging with the space around you. And I wonder if that has something to do with the amount of wonder that we feel. You know, as children, we allow ourselves to be full of mystery and unknowing. And I think as an adult, that takes a lot more work to get myself there. And so I think feeling that connection to a place and feeling like we really belong in a special place, whether it's that house that you describe um, or something else, might have to do with how much we allow ourselves to to be open to the mysteries of the place itself. But thanks so much for sending that in, and thank you for listening. Our next voicemail comes from Sarah Sanderson, who saw a parallel between Neville and Harry that she wanted to share. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. Um, I just want to start by saying thank you so much for doing this podcast. I raced through listening to the first 15 episodes before finally catching up with you this past week. And so I just um, had an idea inspired by your last episode about destiny. So I wanted to send you a quick note on my thought on this. Um, and I think it's something you almost touched on. And I was kind of even waiting for you to bring it up and talking about destiny um, so when Harry, Ron, and Hermione get ready to go through the trapdoor and they're met by Neville, 
And you even mentioned there was an opportunity here, um, a missed opportunity possibly for invitation with Neville at this point. And I actually saw a connection to sort of a broader theme um, of a missed opportunity for Neville, you know, later in the books when um, the big prophecy told by Trelawney, you know, that whole storyline comes out and it talks about um, something about a boy being born at the end of July who has the power to defeat the Dark Lord. And, and we know Harry and Neville were both born at the end of July, but Voldemort went after Harry in that instance. And that totally could have been Neville if a few certain things went a different way. So that was sort of um, a little bit of a parallel that I saw in those two scenes. And so I put that together while listening to you guys talk about that. So I figured I would just share that with you. So thanks. Sarah, what your point really made me think about is that although several things get in the way or interrupt what could be Neville's destiny, Voldemort doesn't go after him, the trio doesn't invite him in, we know that Neville reaches sort of one version of his best possible self, right? He becomes this true hero in the novels. And I wonder if part of the argument here is if you, you know, keep being authentic to who you are, even stumbling blocks aren't going to prevent you from being awesome. And I don't know, I just find Neville to be one of the most inspiring characters in this series, which is saying something. So thank you for making us love him even more. One thing that you reminded me of, Sarah, is that even when we feel like our destiny is laid out for us, like Harry does, doesn't necessarily mean that someone else doesn't have the same destiny. That destiny and, you know, being unique are are perhaps not the same thing. And so, I don't know, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in our own story. And, and it's worth remembering that maybe we are connected to someone else in that story as well. So thanks for pointing that out, because I hadn't thought about that in that way before. Our next voice memo is the cutest one we've gotten yet. No offense, all other voice memos. Hi, Casper. Hi, Vanessa. I'm Sherry. I'm Tiffany. We're mother and daughter-in-law, and we just want to tell you we love the podcast. It's so exciting, and I just love the new aspects we hear about it. Even though, how do you feel about the Dursleys now, Tiffany? I have a new kind of, I don't know, I just like them a little bit more than I used to. (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys. You've given us a great way that we can... We bond. We bond. And this was our first chance of being together to make this voice recording for you. So keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. And keep doing it. We love it. Bye. Bye. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Sherry and Tiffany, for that lovely voicemail message. We really appreciate you sending it in. And I definitely understand what you're saying, Tiffany. It's tough to start feeling empathy for those Dursleys. Um, It's a little weird, but I think it'll make us better people down the road. So thank you both so much for listening and keep with us as we go on this journey. Hi, my name is Marin Unwin. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I would like to give a blessing to Hermione. I want to give a blessing to her because she's very loyal to Harry and Ron, and she's always there for them no matter what idiotic thing they're doing. She's very smart, but I feel like she's a bit underestimated, but she tries to push back, and she always puts her best effort into anything, whether it be her classes or whether it be playing a giant chess set in a dungeon to save someone's life. 
Thank you, Marin. I so agree with you. Hermione deserves all the blessings. And really, Hermione just can't get enough blessings. She can't. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. It's Asna. I want to thank you guys for starting Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and allowing me to immerse myself back in something that I love in a way that I hadn't expected. And I, Vanessa, I really loved your story of how you started reading secular texts as sacred. I think it's important for everyone to have something that they can go to when they need that security of something sacred. And I was wondering, when you decide to choose something as sacred, how do you choose the themes of, that you're going to read through? For example, for the Harry Potter books, you have these wonderful themes that you've chosen ahead of time, and you read the chapter, and it's all over the place. And I was wondering, how do you decide what themes that you're going to read through? Asna, that's such a good question. We hear it quite a lot, and the mystery is going to be revealed. 
Essentially, all we do is we try to choose a topic that might be fruitful before we read the other chapter. So we will we'll look at the title of the chapter and kind of remember what happens in it. But we'll literally just choose a subject that might be juicy in some way, and we'll then read the chapter, kind of looking for that theme. And in our experience so far, if you're looking for it, you'll find it. And it may be that we use some of those themes again just to see how it shows up in a different way in a different chapter. But I, you know, I would encourage you if you're at home and you want to read the same chapter through a different theme, try looking for something else in it because, in our experience, you'll find what you look for. I agree, Casper, with exactly how you characterized it. The only thing I would add to the real deep randomness of it is that there are things that we want to explore. So um, we chose to end on a high note, and so we ended the season on love. And talking about white privilege was something that was important to us, so we brought it to the text. So I don't know whether... Um, it's embarrassing or exciting, I, probably both, <laughs> that there's just no scientific, you know, process way that we do it other than sort of, will this vaguely apply to the upcoming chapter? And then what do we want to talk about? Next week, we're looking at the theme of boys. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're going to transition to a conversation with a friend and mentor, Reverend Dr. Stephanie Paulsell, the Susan Shawcross Swartz Professor of the Practice of Christian Studies at Harvard Divinity School. And we are really grateful that she's here today. She actually did that opening reading that started the show today, which was the first few lines of a favorite novel, Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Casper. Hi, Vanessa. Stephanie, can you share with us how you learned to treat texts as sacred? Well, I grew up with two great readers for parents, and I I think I learned to have a sense of the sacredness of text from them. Um, My father is a great lover of the Psalms, and sometimes when I was a kid, I would sit in the backyard with him, and I would read his Psalms out loud to him, and we would decide which verse struck us the most, and that felt very sacred. It was the Bible. It was a text that whole communities revere as sacred. Um, But I also was read to a great deal by my mother, and one of my real strong memories of childhood is of being in the doctor's office with my mother. My sister and I were always getting sick and having to be taken to the doctor, and my mother reading Horton Hears a Who and other books by Dr. Zeus out loud to us, and um, she would start reading, and gradually, slowly, the room would fall silent. And you could just feel everybody kind of leaning forward a little and listening to my mother read Dr. Seuss. And that also felt sacred. Um, A group of strangers was drawn together for a common purpose, to listen and to have pleasure um, in language. But it seems to me that nothing is lost by thinking of both of those experiences as experiences of sacred reading, um, and a whole lot is gained. Stephanie, it's so interesting to hear you say that both of those stories felt sacred. And one is from the Bible. So it's a very traditional religious text. And for a lot of people, it's the word of God. And Dr. Seuss may be beloved, but probably doesn't have that association. And can you talk about for you, if there's a a difference with that kind of God element in those two texts? 
there is a difference. Obviously, the Psalms have been prayed and um, pondered, and other texts have spun out from them. I think that's one of the things that Vanessa and I decided when we were reading Jane Eyre's The Sacred Text, is that sacred texts are always generative. They always create more texts. And, you know, St. John of the Cross, for example, loved the Song of Songs, and he wrote his own poetry in response to it, and then he wrote commentaries on his own poetry as if the poems themselves were sacred. So there's long traditions of this. Um, In Genesis, which is, of course, a sacred text to Jews and Christians, God is imagined as a creator who speaks the world into being with only words, and then creates human beings, um, male and female, at the end of that first chapter, um, in the image of God. Human beings are created in the image of God. And I think that must mean that when we're at our most creative, we are living most fully into our creation as, as creatures made in the image of God. And so the results of that creativity there's something sacred um, because they come out of that part of us that's most like God. I love how you framed it, Stephanie, about um, that it has to be able to generate other texts because a frustration that Casper and I have with each other is that he always says that he just thinks a text needs to be loved in order to be treated as sacred. And then I push back saying, no, it also has to be worthy. But I think that your distinction is better. And Casper, I wonder if you now agree with it now that it's been better said that um, you need to be able to generate from it, which is why, you know, a milk carton can't be treated as sacred. Yeah, I think that is convincing. And I think that's why you know, treating Harry Potter has been so obvious because there are so many amazing stories of, you know, whether it's fan fiction or fan art or, um, you know, all sorts of really interesting projects out in the world as well that respond to the text um, and allow it to be so generative. So, yeah, that's pretty convincing, Vanessa. So we know that Virginia Woolf is one of your favorite authors, and something that you say a lot is that she was a religious reader. I was wondering if you could tell us what that means, as she was sort of a famous atheist. Virginia Woolf was a great reader, and she came from a long line of religious readers. Um, Her ancestors were evangelical Christian abolitionists who read together um, in sort of Victorian reading circles. Virginia Woolf knew from a very early age that that she could use reading to to shape and calibrate her interior life. She had a sense of of what she called the common mind that threads through texts and and the people who read them. Um, Through reading, she said, we can transcend ourselves and, and come into intimate knowledge of other souls. So for her, reading was a sacred practice, a practice through which she encountered others and through which she was drawn into community with others. Do you think that there's something distinct about Harry Potter that allows for this work? I think Harry Potter is such an important story for our time Um, because in addition to having created this entire world that you can live in for a time, which is a a definition, one definition of religion. Um, The philosopher George Santayana defined religion as another world to live in, and certainly J.K. Rowling 
has created another world to live in. But she's spoken so powerfully and ethically to our time. I mean, it's it's her testimony against torture, against racism. And um, I think there's some mix of just the 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 complete world of it and the powerful way it crosses over into our world and speaks to our world. I think that's why you're, you can have this podcast because it generates so many conversations about everything from friendship to betrayal to white privilege, you know. Since you mentioned, you know, this being of our time, one of the things that I think makes Harry Potter more complicated than previous sort of complicated texts is the fact that J.K. Rowling is still tweeting about it and is still posting things on Pottermore. And I'm wondering how you feel about the moments in which, you know, she tweeted that killing George was a quote unquote mistake. Do you think that that takes away from the integrity of the project or how how do you reconcile that? You know, when God sends a flood in Genesis and wipes out humankind, saving one family, Noah, Noah's family, and the animals. God says at the end of that, that was a mistake. I won't do that again. And um, I think it's fine to think things. I didn't make the right decision. I'm sure all artists do that, right? All writers, I'm sure, think, oh, I wish I'd done this differently. I wish I'd written this differently. Virginia Woolf, every time she put out a new edition of her books, she would take a pen to them. Um I remember, Vanessa, that when we were reading Jane Eyre as a sacred text, at first you wanted Jane Eyre to be perfect. You wanted to read it. You said, I can trust this text if it's perfect, and I'll be able to read it as sacred if it's perfect. And we had a lot of great conversations about that, about the difference between perfect and sacred. And I think because sacred is so generative, it has to be imperfect in a way. If something is perfect, it's complete, it's sealed off, um, it's finished, it's done. Um, Sacred texts, I think, are never finished, never done. And something you said to me then that really resonated was that if we treat it as if it's perfect instead of sacred, then we can become sort of fundamentalists, or that's when we become completely dogmatic, that it has to be a conversation Otherwise, the text becomes dangerous. Notions of perfection and purity are dangerous, I think. And and I think Harry Potter um, is all about that in some ways. Um, you know, the Death Eaters want perfection. They want purity. And um, history tells us that that's a very dangerous idea and one that still threatens us. I think that I like to put things into categories. And one of my favorite conversations that we've had was when I said, I'm worried that the Vernon Dursleys of the world are going to ruin the world, and you said back to me, no, I think we have to deal with the Vernon Dursley-ishness in, in ourselves. And I think that that's, it's such a good point. And I think also, like, I know that you weren't just calling me a Death Eater, but I think that I had Death Eater, right? Like, I wanted purity. I wanted to be able to trust something, and it was... It's the first time that I feel like I've been able to sort of understand what the Death Eaters are after. You want something you can trust and you want something you can just hand yourself over to. And so I don't think my intention was bad in that, but it was a Death Eater instinct. One of the things, Stephanie, that I most enjoyed learning from you was how to engage with the text creatively in different ways and not just to read it as a story but try and kind of mine it for its jewels with some real techniques. And, um, you know, the 
technique that we started with was Lectio Divina, uh, which has maybe become my favorite, I think. I don't know if we're allowed to have spiritual practice favorites, but I, I just love it. And I, I'm so curious, you know, how have you used it? How did you learn about it? Where does it come from in, in your tradition? And what, what does it mean to you? In the Christian mystical tradition, um, reading is often a sort of foundational practice for seeking out the presence of God, the face of God, some sort of direct experience of God. Um, one of the m- most wonderful, I think, theorists of Lexio Divina was a 12th century Carthusian monk named Guigo II, who who has a dream about um, this ladder stretching from earth to heaven, kind of like Jacob's ladder. Um, but he saw it as a ladder of monks. Um, and it was um, a, a way for monks to, through reading, to reach themselves toward, stretch themselves toward God. Um, I learned the practice of Lexio Divina from my father, reading those psalms in the backyard. Um, he reads a psalm and listens closely for for which verse strikes him that day, the way it intersects with his life. It's a, it's a way of reading that where we bring our whole selves to it. And um, I learned it from him, I think. Um, he has notebooks and notebooks filled with verses from the Psalms in different combinations, which is another sort of reading practice that medieval monks developed. They called it florilegia, flower garden, really, um, where you would pick gems or seeds or blossoms from various texts and recombine them in different ways um, and um, create a text that was new. Stephanie, as you know, we like to end our episodes by blessing one of the characters. And I wondered if you had a blessing to offer as we end this episode. Yes, I want to bless your listeners. Um, and um, I just want I, I want to bless you in your reading. Um, I hope that um, as you get deeper and deeper into this text, um, you'll find yourself going deeper and deeper into everything else that you love, um, your relationships, the meals you share with others, the life you share with others, and all the great books um, that have so much richness to discover. So bless you in your reading, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text listeners. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us. And thank you for all of your help in making it happen. This has been the last episode of season one of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Produced by the heroic Ariana Nettleman, the handsome Casper Turkile, and me, Vanessa Zoltan. Please don't forget to subscribe and review. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, where we continue the conversation, have bonus content, and send updates and announcements. You can find our handle at HP Sacred Text. Our social media coordinator is Jen Stark. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. This week, a huge thank you to our lovely mentor, Stephanie Paulsell, to Rebecca, Charlie, Jack, and Teddy Ledley, Lauren Taylor, Shane Bannon, and Rufus. Thank you so much for being our first big supporters. The Harvard Communications Office for all of your support. The Humanist Hub for believing in us so early. And Harry Potter and the Sacred Text Reading Group. We couldn't have done it without you. We'll talk to you in a few weeks with Season 2 of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. The Susan Shawcross Schwartz Professor of Practice of Christian Studies at at Harvard. One more time. Of the practice. (laughs) Of the practice. Of Harvard, Harvard, Harvard. The other day I said Google instead of Google. (laughs) I talk for a living. That's what I do.
Swartz. I made her Jewish. I'm just upgrading her, guys. Okay, I'm done. I can do this. <laughs> One more time with feeling. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.